JKP Films presents If Kane Were Able. And now, take a listen to the final episode in season one of If Kane Were Able. Episode 12. Tristan hotwires his motorbike, the engine starts, and he rides off. Hours later, outside of the flat in Stonebridge that Tristan and his mother were previously staying at, Byron and Ricky are holding a stakeout. How much longer do we have to wait? However long it takes. Now shut up and keep looking around. Oh my god. It can't be. What? Isn't that Tristan Hope over there? Hot wearing that motorbike? Yep. That is definitely him. (laughs) And you thought we were wasting our time. Oh, ye of little faith. Should we call it in? No. No, I... I've got to be the one who brings him in. But I didn't bring my gun or anything, because you're in such a rush. Well, I have my gun, so you don't need yours. We just follow him, catch him off guard when he's all alone, and capture him. Tristan rides off. Ricky hotwires the car he's in and follows at a distance. A few hours later, Tristan parks in a car park by Epping Forest and enters the forest. Moments later, Ricky parks in the car park, and then him and Byron exit their vehicle and enter the forests. Which way do you think he went? I don't know, but there's only two paths. So you take that one, and I'll take this one. Let's maintain radio silence until one of us spots him or captures him. That's not fair. You've got a gun, and I've got no protection. You know what? Maybe we should stick together. No! I don't want to lose this opportunity to capture Tristan, so take the gun and I'll grab a stick or something. Yeah, that sounds better. Thanks. A few moments later, Byron is searching the forest with his gun held out in front of him. Ricky, have you got him? Ricky, answer me, please. Have you got him? Byron struggles to open the bear trap which is clasped around his right foot. Tristan Hope walks out of the darkness. Byron momentarily stops trying to free his leg and rummages around for his gun. Are you looking for this? You dropped it when you took that little tomboy over there. But you won't be needing a gun tonight. Where's Ricky? Oh. I wouldn't waste any time or energy worrying about him if I was you. I'd focus all my concern on how I'm going to remove that bear trap off my right leg before I pass out and die. Let me go! No. But as you actually might be a dying man, I'll consider your previous question as a last request. And therefore, I will tell you that Ricky will be facing a death worthy of his despicable character. Hold on. Oh yeah, before I go, If you do manage to get out of here, then please let your right leg be a lesson to you, reminding you that you should never follow anyone blindly. Well, I've got lots to do, so goodbye.
dispatch. This is Byron Ely. I'm in Epic Forest and I'm injured. We spotted Tristan Hope, but he got the drop on us. Please come quickly. I'm losing a lot of blood. I feel so faint. I think I'm going to pass out soon. Please, hurry. Moments later, Ricky Tomlins opens his eyes. His head is sore and he can hardly move because he's in a small box which is buried underground. He screams frantically for hours but nobody hears him because the dirt surrounding his makeshift coffin acts like a soundproof room. He cries and tries to pry the box open but this only leads to his nails either breaking or <coughs> being snapped off and blood dripping down his hands. Help! Help! Let me out of here! Oi! Oi! Hello? Where are you? Byron! Byron! Help me! Help! Let me out! Help! Hey! Hey! Let me... Let me out! Hello? Hey! Help! Help me! Help! The next day in 10 Downing Street... Hi, honey. I'm home. Still busy saving the world, darling. You have no idea. I'm so grateful your assistant discovered me under the rubble in the prison that day. Mm. I need some R&R, &R, and afterwards I have some legal documents for you to look at. It's still so hard to understand. One minute I was visiting my client at the serial killer's prison, the next I was under the rubble fading in and out of consciousness. And then, the next thing I remember is waking up here with you and you giving me the lowdown. You know what, Kelly? It still seems so crazy, so hard to believe, so hard for me to even get my mind around, because what's going on right now seems more like a plot from a science fiction novel than real life. To tell you the truth, if I'm totally honest, I probably wouldn't have believed you if you hadn't allowed me to see the devastation with my own eyes. You know, I know it probably sounds silly, but... When you told me what happened, I actually thought that I would be out of here in weeks. But that was years ago, and I'm still cooped up in here waiting, always waiting. Anyway, enough doom and gloom. That reminds me, better not break tradition. Is it safe for me to go out yet, Kelly? No, darling. There's still no cure. But I'm sure I can entertain you for a few hours. After Kelly and Patrick finish making love, Kelly has a flashback of the night when one of her assistants, Naomi Frimpong, called her and started their conversation with... 
Prime Minister, thank God I've got through to you. I'm at Barking's High Security Prison and I found something incredibly important. Kelly was, and still is, 100% certain that today, other than herself, no one else knows that Naomi went on to tell her that she had found Patrick unconscious and barely alive under some rubble in the unused south wing of the prison. The first thing Kelly asked Naomi when she heard this was, who else knows about this? To which Naomi replied, honestly, no one. Immediately after this, Kelly instructed Naomi to covertly bring Patrick to the secret panic room, which is below 10 Downing Street, and Naomi, who was loyal to the core, did this without question. Unfortunately for Naomi, her loyalty led to Kelly killing her, to uh, tie up loose ends and to prevent any possibility of any future revelations in regards to this secret. Hmm. Atrociously, and quite sadly, Naomi wasn't the last person to die to keep Kelly's dirty little secret well and truly buried. Horrifically, after Kelly permanently got rid of her first loose end, Kelly kept her personal doctor captive in the panic room until Patrick no longer needed her medical attention, and then Kelly disposed of her as quickly as she did Naomi. However, this was all ancient history. Even though it is of high importance, it was in the past, and Kelly was determined to keep it that way. Back in the present day, Kelly takes a moment and thinks to herself, I have no regrets about this. As far as I'm concerned, why should I? After all, a woman has needs, and as the sole leader the world is dependent on for their salvation, my needs must truly reign higher than the needs of the masses. Kelly knew that if anyone found out about Patrick, they would wonder why she didn't allow his sperm to be used to repopulate the world instead of the serial killers. But that was just because no one would be able to understand that he was hers, and hers alone. A perk of the job, so to say, which she was unwilling to share in any capacity whatsoever. Patrick not only satisfied her sexually, apparently, he also looked over her legal documents. Ooh. Because prior to the virus, he was a successful lawyer who famously gave up the power and the money that he was getting from a big law firm to work at the prison. The way he described it, this all happened after he had some grand life-changing epiphany. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. So far as Kelly was concerned, if she herself was not going to have his children, which she definitely wasn't, then there was no way on earth she would allow anyone else to. A few hours later, Carlos Phillips is standing behind the Righteous' hideout alone. He takes out his phone and makes a call. Hi, Mum. It's me, Mum. Some of us managed to get away before they started killing the children they rounded up. Where are you, darling? I'm sorry, I can't say where I am. The government are still trying to hunt us down. Meanwhile, in the MI5 headquarters operations room... Lady Turner, one of our bugs has just picked up a conversation with one of the members of the Righteous and his mother. This member of the Righteous called his mother and she is trying to find out where he is. Brilliant. Have we got a location for where the call is being made from yet? No. He wouldn't tell his mother where he is. And our tracking software is having problems pinpointing his location. Keep on listening. I want all of our extraction black ops teams on red alert and I want them ready to deploy from their base locations around London. Please, 
Make sure that all of our field operatives use their helmets equipped with the video cameras so that we can monitor the operation from our HQ. And also, please remember people that this could be our opportunity to capture the Righteous. So let's not let it slip through our hands. Meanwhile, back at the Righteous's hideout, Carlos is still talking to his mother on the phone. I've missed you so much, Carlos. I've missed you so much too. I need to see you. Please meet me at our picnic spot in Richmond Park in an hour, Mum. And please, make sure you're not followed. Okay, darling. See you soon. See you. Thirty minutes later, inside the Righteous's hideout... Does anyone know where Carlos is? No one knows. Really? Come on, guys. Someone must know. I know. Where is he, Penny? I heard him on the phone with his mother earlier, and they agreed to meet up in Richmond Park. Thank you, Penny. Roberta, you're in charge. Get everyone ready to evacuate ASAP and go to our secondary backup location. And this time, if I don't call or I'm not back in an hour... I'm coming with you. Someone needs to watch your back. No, you're not. I need you to keep the rest of my righteous family safe. To me, that's more important than my back. <sighs> okay. Alright, but make sure you come back to us. Yeah, make sure you come back to us, Paul. I will. See you, Penny. You did great. Thank you. Paul picks up two handguns, a rifle, some ammunition, and a rucksack containing weapons. He then rushes out of the hideout. Carlos Phillips is in Richmond Park with his mother. Little do they know that scattered around the park, in hiding, are a number of MI5's Black Ops field agents. Carlos, darling, I've missed you so much. I've missed you too, Mum. Oh, you've lost so much weight. Oh, I wish I could take you home right now and cook you a large meal. Suddenly, a red dot appears on Carlos's chest and a bullet is fired. Noticing the red dot on her son, Carlos's mum leaps in front of him before Carlos can even react. Carlos! Watch out! Get out of here now! The bullet meant for Carlos lodges itself deep into Carlos's mother's midsection. She falls to the floor as blood seeps from her wound. Carlos kneels down beside his mum, hugs her, and begins to wail in distress. <laughs> a few moments later, in a quiet, secure room at MI5's HQ... Who the bloody hell had their laser light on? And why the hell was the shot fired? I did not authorise that. Control. What's going on there? Somebody talk to me. Each of the Black Ops field operatives fall to the ground after a rifle bullet burrows deep into their skulls. Someone say something, for God's sake. We no longer have an eye on the target. Please reply. Carlos, we've got to go. She's dead. I can't just leave her here. Carlos, I'm afraid there's no choice. Either you leave your mum here or you die here, with her. I'm sorry, but I have to ask you this now. What's it gonna be? I'm coming. Three hours later, Paul is in the Righteous's new hideout with all of the members. Unfortunately today, Carlos lost his mother and he put us all in danger because he couldn't follow orders. I put the rules in place to safeguard us and our families. Brothers and sisters, on this one occasion I will let this slide. But if anyone else does this again, they will be permanently exiled. Is that understood?
I said, is that clear? Later in a laboratory somewhere in London, Tristan overhears a conversation between Commissioner Rayner and Samantha Day and another one between Kelly Shields and Sally Shaw, which proves that the kids made after the virus did not kill their own mothers and that Kelly Shields had these children murdered, not Eve Hope. Moments later, Tristan's reading his mum's notebooks and working on a project. On his holographic computer screen, it says, Attempt 50 under the heading Genetic Engineering. A few hours later, the Righteous' convoy of vehicles is driving through the night. A month later, Kelly Shields and Sally Shaw are in a secret underground lab facility. In the facility, there are loads of cloning chambers which have tubes and wires connected to them. Inside of these chambers are fully grown men who have umbilical cords running from their belly buttons to the cloning chambers. Each of these men have their eyes closed. After a few moments of typing, Sally pushes a button on the keyboard. The sign on the computer screen in front of her says, Birth Process Initiated. Suddenly, one of the cloned men opens his eyes. Hi, my name's Jonathan Poku and I'm the writer and the director of this podcast. If you would like to be informed about competitions, exclusive content and information about this show and other shows created by JKP Films, please go to www.jkpfilms.com and subscribe to our mailing list via the subscription box which is at the bottom of the page. In addition, if you would like to help us to continue to make this podcast and other projects, please feel free to go to www.jkpfilms.com and to donate as little or as much as you would like via the donate button which is at the bottom of the page. Please believe me, all donations are always appreciated. Oh yeah, if you would like to contact us, please email us at inquire at jkpfilms.com. Thank you so much and I can't wait to hear from you. Consume all my enemies when the smoke 
season finale of season one of If Cain Were Able. For all of those who have joined us on this journey, I hope you have enjoyed it.